0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrub In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week, we've got another amazing guest and you probably wouldn't believe it, but today we have with us Dr. Kieran Walsh, who is the clinical director at BMJ. He's a clinical lead of the medical education and clinical decision support resources at BMJ. And I probably don't need to tell you, we all know who and what the BMJ is. He has an immense amount of experience with online education, clinical decision making and support, and is also a adjunct pro- associate professor in the teaching and research at Monash University. He's published more than 200 pieces of article and research and is a author, a massive, massive pleasure to welcome you to welcome the show to today.
1: The show. Thanks. Thanks, Abdul. Thanks for having me. And it's great to be great to be on.
0: No worries. So we know you've done so many amazing things in your in your career, but we like to take it all the way to the very beginning when you are perhaps a young individual. And tell us a bit about when you decided, you know what, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a physician and kind of start that journey with us.
1: Sure. Thank you. So it's a, a few years ago now, uh, <laughs> but this was in pretty much my last year at school, and I was interested in science, but also in English and the humanities, and I also wanted to do what I could to kind of to help people make a difference in society. I was also interested in science and scientific discovery and, and, and knowledge and education also uh appealed and and the academic side of thing appealed as uh a, 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 as well and that was kind of before i started but of course it's a, a a long course it's a five or six year course depending on whether you have a pre-med year or, or mm-hmm. a um intercalated bsc so you kind of don't decide everything at the at the start it's quite a broad course as well and it's-
0: which medical school did you go to? How was that experience? Um, and kind of tell us, you know, some of the, the the accomplishments you made while as a medical student and as well as the obstacles you faced.
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I went to medical school in Ireland in uh, in Galway, which is in the west of Ireland, which is was a small medical school at the time. Um, but it had advantages in being small, and so far as it had a real kind mm-hmm. of sense of community, you knew everybody in your class by first name, and you knew mm-hmm. them reasonably well too. Um, uh, and um, I, I think, in terms of kind of challenges, uh, in terms of achievements, I guess I, I got through was the, the, the main achievement and <laughs> came out the other at the other side. In terms of Challenges and, and obstacles. Like I was thinking about this podcast, and we were talking earlier about digital and digital knowledge resources. And of course, that was a massive obstacle mm. um, years ago when I was starting off in medical school. Medline then uh, was was a massive book, the size bigger than a telephone book, and you had to look up abstracts <laughs> in it, and then. Find the relevant paper journal. So, um, of course, it's kind of it's 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 in the dark ages in terms of knowledge resources, and that's why I'm interested in our own clinical decision support knowledge resource BMJ Best Practice, which of course is only one of, of many such knowledge mm. resources. But what we're trying to do is clinical decision support that will really work at the point of care that will be accessible, that will enable mm. improved practice to take it out of the library and take it into the wards and uh, and outpatients.
0: Now, and I do want to touch on how far we've come in terms of accessing medical information knowledge as to how it may have been previously and you're doing incredible work. Um, just before we kind of go on to that, tell us a bit about post-graduation kind of you're now a doctor you're working in a hospital um, tell us about that experience and perhaps some of your fondest memories because um, it's quite nice to kind of hear that
1: yeah sure so so i uh um when i first qualified, well, i did the old internship year which or house office year which is foundation year one then went on to sho training in medicine uh, i i did a year in neurology and then I moved over to the UK and uh, did a training scheme registrar training scheme in general internal medicine and uh, geriatric medicine for the next uh, for the next 5 years. It was it was a broad training really as geriatric and general internal medicine mm-hmm. is it was kind of old style an apprentice a, apprenticeship model which which has long hours but there was a real feeling of kind of being part of a team and or some people used to call it a firm um uh mm. we, we always called it a mm. team um but it did feel a bit like a uh a firm as uh, 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 as well so you're working with the people who you knew really quite well and you you're working with them all the time for six months or a year and so that was that was really positive i i remember when I was doing neurology, in particular, when I was a registrar then and kind of the the most senior junior, if you if you like, and setting up a system whereby we could discuss dilemmas with other members of the team and kind of try and work out what the best course of action for patients was. Of course, neurology is always full of dilemmas. And I remember that as being something I was proud of to, to be able to set up. No,
0: amazing. That sounds amazing and so the interesting and the the cool part is we kind of see BMJ as the holy grail we use it for finals we use it when we're on court how does an individual like yourself mm. even get involved with you know an organization like the BMJ to later on be a clinical lead for it so that's what we're all here to hear
1: great thank you so, so um so, so I had kind of done my my training um, as, as a registrar, uh, but I hadn't done an MD or PhD or taken time out. Um, and I thought I, I should. Um, so there was a year's job came up at BMJ for people with an interest in medical education, which I was uh, interested in. And I took the job planning to, to stay for a, a year. Um, this was just six weeks before we first launched uh, bmj learning our first version of the online learning site and and i ended up staying and it's been an interesting few years ever since really and it's easy to forget that even though the internet of course did exist back then all the things we take for granted now were either really in beta sites or didn't exist at all everything from youtube to Facebook, true to mm. broadband internet, true to the proliferation of multimedia oh, yeah. on the on, on the internet, those things kind of did mm. exist, mm. but they they weren't ubiquitous by 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 any means. Um, nor indeed was this idea of Web 2.2.0. Mm. So. so I, I, it's been an interesting journey and time o- over those years and when we first launched vmj learning we got a massive amount of feedback which was really helpful user feedback and we still get lots and lots of user feedback every mm. individual bit of user feedback is looked at and uh, 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 and if there's any criticism, constructive or otherwise, it's fed up to the editorial team or the clinical team or the technology team or, or, or product teams or whatever. And we try and sort it out mm-hmm. or we try and get back to the user to help them or her overcome the problem that they, mm-hmm. that, that, that they, they might have. Or sometimes they tell us things that are, that are right and we have to fix it then.
2: In terms of BMJ learning, what's the, what's the problem we're solving right now and where do you see how it's so it's technology based and technology is solving a lot of the issues now what's happening as we speak and what are we looking towards in the future say in five years especially with what covid has done to medical education and training
1: yeah so with BMJ learning it's uh its, it's purpose now is really quite similar to what it was when it was initially set up which is to provide doctors and other healthcare professionals with online learning Mm. to help them stay updated in their knowledge ideally applied knowledge skills ideally problem solving procedural skills and also their behaviors ideally professional behaviors Uh, and and so from the start it's covered topical important clinical and non-clinical subjects in a variety of ways that will engage doctors and other healthcare professionals, increasingly using more multimedia, increasingly using more um, uh, interactivity. But the purpose of is always the practical application of knowledge and to see what impact it will have and doctors and other healthcare professionals, clinical uh, clinical practice. That's really what we're most interested in. In terms of the the, 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 the future, Um, Mm -hmm. lots of things we're we're, we're, we're thinking about one of which is learner efficiency for want of a better word so how we can help Mm -hmm. medical learners get to what they want to faster Um, how um, we can provide them with content that they really like but also that they really need that's based on their knowledge gaps. Those are mm-hmm. some of the mm-hmm. things that, that we're thinking about and I think are likely to be the future uh, o- over the next few years. And, and BMJ Learning and, and is our online learning website. Mm-hmm. BMJ Best Practice is our clinical decision support tool. But increasingly, we see them as kind of complementary mm-hmm. to each other. So BMJ Best Practice, you try and get an answer within seconds, ideally, bmj learning you might take you 30 minutes to work through a module so the context of use is 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 different but once again to go back to the past i remember when we first launched our uh, podcast and videos and i proudly stood up at a conference and said our podcasts are are, are," and videos are short they're only 20 to 30 minutes long Mm. I was talking to some foundation program doctors mm. last year they said how long will you watch a video for and they said mm, maybe 40 seconds and i would watch it at double speed i <laughs> speed it up watch it at double speed yeah. uh, ideally <laughs> and that's just in 10 years you know so the challenge with bmj like everybody else is to kind of keep yeah. up with the the trends really
0: yeah mm. and that Nicely follows on to the second question I wanted to ask, BMJ has been around for a while, they're quite established, how do you constantly foster new ideas and innovation at times we see it, you know, the younger new startups are very receptive to new and cool ideas, how does BMJ always stay kind of leading at the forefront?
1: So, so we try as much as possible to listen to our our users. So we get a lot of feedback through rapid responses on BMJ.com, through to uh, reviews of learning modules. All of which is 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 read. Ideally, published onto the site as as well. We publish everything including criticism, so long as it's not libelous or blasphemous or breaks any laws or, 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 or things like that. Mm-hmm. So we listen a massive amount to, to our users. Mm-hmm. Um, we also look at usage as well and see, well, what's most popular? And should we focus on that? Because that's clearly a, 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 a need. And we look at trends over time and, and uh, mm-hmm. we see trends such as the appetite for more multimedia content be it podcast through to video as well mm. and uh, mm. and so we think well should we should do more than just text you know we, we should move into these areas as well but also we try as much as we can to balance that the quantitative data which we can gather on on our users with qualitative feedback that we might get as well so we've got uh, um, a, a department at BMJ called the CoLab, where we get junior doctors and medical students in, uh, um, physically in a year ago now over, over, over Zoom um, or over the phone, or I should say over video conference, mm-hmm. not to mention one, uh, a, a, a one facility <laughs> over a, another. Um, and, and we get them to tell us what they think of our resources and tell us what else we should be doing and Mm, mm. uh what um uh uh, and we get them to use the resources in front of us and find out actually how they're using it and whether they're Mm. clicking on the things we hope them to click on and that really works so one example is that on examination it was a bmj on examination which is our assessment and exam revision Mm. resource um it was a junior doctor who was working Mm. with us who said you know have you heard of on examination, lots and lots of people are, are using it. With the, BMJ best pra- with the BMJ Best Practice Comorbidities Tool, which is an, an add-on to BMJ Best Practice to help doctors and other healthcare professionals better manage patients with multiple conditions. Once again, that was a former junior doctor who came to work for BMJ, who was suggesting different things that we should, different things that we should do and, and gaps in, the the provision of decision support to doctors
0: no definitely and i think it's amazing the work you're doing and obviously you are the forefront leading it kind of share with us what a typical day or week looks like for you um
1: so so it's it's very variable i would say more than (laughs) more than anything it's it's (laughs) so variable so i've got kind of Responsibility for the safety and quality of the resources um, but also got responsibility for clinical promotion and outreach um, uh, to to, to users Mm. and to institutions in the UK and internationally who are using the resources. Also looking at the impact of the resources and evaluating them continually to see if we can get them accredited by relevant bodies for CME, CBD, but both in the UK and internationally, and also to see if we can use the resources to support programs to, do, to drive healthcare improvement, both the UK and, and internationally as well. Mm. Um, and lastly, there's kind of a, a regular stream of clinical questions um, that, that that might come through uh, to, to BMJ, which end up landing on my, my desk and I try and answer them.
2: With so many tasks at your hand, how do you actually balance all of the tasks and how do you complete it to such a high standard?
1: Well, I'm, I'm lucky really, BMJ, we've got a team and uh, one of the big teams that I work mm-hmm. with is in the BMJ Knowledge Center, which is responsible for producing BMJ Best Practice, BMJ Best Practice comorbidities, BMJ Learning, on ex- BMJ on examination, etc., mm. etc. Et we've got a real multidisciplinary team. Really, we've got everybody from information specialists through to clinical ed- uh, editors, through to um, uh, the, the digital uh, production team, through to the team that are teams that are responsible for mm. uh, promoting the resources and making it available and of course technology as uh, as well is, is 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 really important as well as the, the business development mm. side of things i'm sure i've missed um, missed various groups out but but it's getting all these mm. groups to, to to work together yeah. really is is important because of course if you're trying mm. to tell people about the resource it can't just be the promotional team also has got to be the the data team and the technology team so that then the promotion can be yeah. based on kind of good reliable strong strong data on on what people are are, yeah. are doing or or what they want hmm.
2: so with regards to doing all of that now so you've got all these years and experience when it comes to management and leadership now a lot of us juniors medical students where we are taking up different roles, whether it's societies, whether it's going into different bodies and different organisations, what would you advise us on in terms of what skills should we be developing to become good leaders and good sort of managers when it comes to that?
1: So, thanks, it's a good question, really. Like, like I think the fundamental skills of leadership are things like honesty, um, transparency, Obviously, good communication skills and teamwork skills, everybody would say, and it's it's mm. it's it's true. But of course, there's no kind of single group of skills that will work in each and every context. And and so you, we need to be different and flexible when dealing with different people or in different contexts. I often think about what's the purpose of of leadership and where are we trying to, to, to lead and ultimately for say our own resources mm. it's to drive clinical quality improvement um, so I don't worry so much about kind of yeah. the leadership skills I work at focus more about on what we're we're, we're we're trying to achieve so I think your original question was how to develop leadership yeah. skills yeah. and I think it's to think about well can you yeah. get involved in quality improvement and can you lead or be part of a team that will lead, uh, initially a mini quality improvement yeah. project and, and, and that's how you kind of develop it. Something you develop by, by doing rather than kind of hmm. learning about.
0: Kind of moving slightly away from the work you are doing at BMJ. If anyone to kind of search you up and, you know, see who Dr. Kieran Walsh is, they'll notice you have published. A share number of articles in journals tell us a bit about have you always been involved in research and how does someone accumulate so many publications
1: so I am um, uh, so, so I remember my first publication which was in in 1997 um, uh, which was so, epilepsy oh, wow. in pregnancy for the irish medical times and it's interesting when you talk to people they can always remember their 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 first uh publication um uh, nobody can ever remember the 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 second one um but i I would say um uh another point is that of course you see the things that i've been lucky enough to get published or other people have got published um but you never see what's got rejected you know there's hundreds that have got been rejected or bounced mm-hmm. the first time I tried, and so it's down to kind of per, per, per persistence and not giving up, but also to, to start small. So when people often ask me questions and they say, "Oh, I'd like to get published," and I'd like to publish a randomized controlled trial or a systematic review or a meta-analysis or whatever, mm-hmm. it's great, but it's, it's enormously ambitious for your first project you know if you're training to be a surgeon we don't say okay your first operation is going to be an abdominal aortic aneurysm you know we start off maybe with a mole removal or an <laughs> ingrown toenail <cone laughs> or something like that to, um, yeah. And publish research and publishing I think it yeah. should be similar and, and I think people should start off with uh, an editorial or comment mm. or an opinion piece or maybe a quality improvement report, or an educational report, something small and manageable, um, which mm-hmm. might even be a poster publication in the first instance, or an abstract in a supplement to yeah. a medical journal. And it's through things like that, you get going, you get experience really, and then you build up from, 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 from there. And, and I think quality improvement is really, really important. We've got a journal, DMJ Open Quality, which accepts mm. um, reports of uh, quality improvement projects that people um, ha, 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 have done, and it's uh, 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 and, and I think that's a great way to get going, and it's really important to get kudos mm. for your, your your work, and one day I've get one way of getting kudos is mm. through getting it published.
2: Amazing. In terms of quality improvement I feel there's a little bit of um, confusion especially amongst maybe medical students about the difference between that and research Um, and then for example where to get it published. It's often thought that quality improvements can't be published whereas research, RCT, systematic reviews all of that can be. Tell us a little bit about how medical students can go about quality improvement. What exactly is it? What are the differences and um, obviously you've told us where they can submit it now for publication
1: <laughs> yeah yeah sure um, so, so I think the this the, the advice for how to do quality improvement that you might want to get published or the advice on how to do a mini research project that you might want to get published the, the principles behind it are, 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 are similar so uh, I would say that getting published on its own shouldn't be an an aim. It should be a a great byproduct of a a, a project that you're doing. But I would encourage people to take a strategic approach to to, to kind of attach themselves to a team or a department that they're interested in, Mm -hmm. in, in a specialty that they're interested in and and th- to talk to the senior people there and to tell them that you're really enthusiastic and you'd like to do something. And, and to, so, so to, to don't go mm. off on your own, really. In, in, in other words, to, to do mm. it as part of a team with, with senior support. And they'll be able to advise you on lots of different things, um, such as whether your idea mm. genuinely is a quality improvement project or a research project and how to get it approved Mm. as well Mm. if it's a quality improvement project do you need to get it signed off by the quality department or 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 whatever or or sometimes if it's in medical school um the uh uh, a senior tutor might be able to, to 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 sign it off so i think kind of taking a strategic approach and, and 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 planning from the start is uh is, is really important whether you're doing something small as part of a medical student project or indeed as uh a, a, as more something more substantial like a, a master's or an md or a or, or or a phd but i i would always encourage people to try and get published at the end often you're people who've done yeah. big projects including PhDs and they don't get they don't publish papers out of it which I think is mm-hmm. a bit of a shame for themselves but also for the wider um, community in mm. uh, academia and healthcare who, c- who can learn from their yeah. their research
0: no, definitely. and I like the advice you gave in terms of rather than go off on yourself which a lot of medical students tend to do um, sticking mm. with the team kind of getting advice from seniors Um, and kind of learning the process before you kind of go out into the wilderness by yourself um which is something quite valuable you said
2: um what what would be your what's your opinion on so fpass recently actually removed the points awarded for publications and um when i was asked by this my opinion was i think it's good it drives instead of students just looking to tick a box and just not pursuing in their passions and not being driven by sort of finding, maybe sort of improving patient care or clinical outcomes. It was always driven towards just ticking that box for medical students. Now they've a few of them have felt, Oh, there's no point of getting involved in research anymore. What would you, what would you say to them? How should they view research, view quality improvement? How should they go about that for their future?
1: Yeah, so I think that the, the they they should think about kind of their long-term career and and what they want to do and whether they want to work in primary care or secondary care uh, or, or indeed tertiary mm-hmm. care. Um, relatively, the, the 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 days of the portfolio career are really upon us. Like if you go back ten or fifteen years ago, yeah. um it was still relatively niche um, but, but but now so many doctors mm. junior and senior um, have do some clinical care but also maybe do a day of research or have a leadership role or a role in education of
2: yeah.
1: medical students or postgraduate trainees or or in cpd or, or whatever and employers actively want people with a variety of different types of experience you you can then take on roles above and beyond their clinical roles like they can become a clinical tutor or a head of quality and they will look to see well Mm -hmm. what have you done in the past um as a medical student or as a postgraduate trainee Mm -hmm. in in these areas you gotta i think you gotta have something to 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 show them something that you've done. And if you can take it as far as publication, then that's worthwhile too, if if you can.
0: We wanted to kind of touch on COVID and how it's affected, you know, the delivery of medical education, a lot of transition onto online hybrid models. What do you feel may be the future of medical education? Because we know you're an associate professor, you've kind of published books on medical education as well as working in so many online tools. What do you feel the future holds for medical education?
1: So I think it's a it's a tough question to, 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 to ask, but I think yeah. what, what COVID has done over the past year, it's kind of accelerated things, things which were kind of happening already. Mm. It's really kind of turbocharged mm. them. So decision support and mm. e-learning and, uh, and, uh, and webinars were happening before uh, 2019 um, but what's happened is in the past year is that they've really kind of accelerated and 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 developed um, and, and tally consultations have uh, have developed and of course we've masses and masses of experience with them now which we didn't have uh, a year ago and and it's it's a really wide question but let me focus down on on just one thing um i I was telling you earlier about how we've added this comorbidities tool to bmj best practice and the idea is that traditionally guidelines Mm. and decision support have only focused on single diseases so you look up something and you find out how to manage a patient Mm. with an acute exacerbation of copd but of course, in hospital medicine and in primary care, so many patients have multiple diseases. Comorbidity in older people is the norm. Yeah. And in middle-aged people, it's becoming the norm. People have COPD, but they also have diabetes and hypertension, et cetera, et cetera. And so the tool is trying to exactly. help healthcare professionals to manage the acute illness as well as the chronic disease. At the same time mm. and, and and to balance it uh, to balance it all out, one example acute exacerbation of COPD, you might be starting on steroids. you need to be careful with diabetes uh, uh, as well because the steroids will cause hyperglycemia. It's exactly. one yeah. simple example, mm. but it's one that we've heard uh, it is it, not always um, we, we don't always get it get it right and we need to get it right. And then COVID comes along and actually it turns out mm. that it's patients with comorbidities, mm. with heart failure, diabetes, hypertension, chronic kidney disease, who develop COVID, they're the ones who really run into problems and end up in hospital and then up, end up in yeah. intensive care. And, mm. and, and so we were lucky we built this tool before COVID because then we could add it to the, to the, to the yeah. COVID topic. So to come back to answer your question I think that the future of medical education is a bit like the future of healthcare it'll be uh, generalists will be needed both in primary care and secondary care to manage patients with multiple diseases of course that's just one change there's gonna be lots and lots of uh, Mm. other changes but I don't want to make my answer too long
0: of course no no that's fine and I think it's good and I just want to commend you on kind of the BMJ best practice now, incorporating to comorbidities. And I've personally experienced that, you know, you have patients Mm. come in with COVID, we put them on decks and the sugars go through the roof and you're kind of like, hang on a minute, what's happening? Um, And I think it is a much needed tool. Um, And I guess that's the beauty of innovation and kind of constantly improving and listening to users um, and kind of making that tool. What how else do you feel you know you're working with BMJ what does the future hold for the BMJ what would you like to have achieved mm-hmm. in the next five years um, both professionally um, in your career and at BMJ
1: so once again that's kind of a really wide uh, wide question and, and BMJ yeah. has a, a, a variety of different activities that so BMJ is responsible for publishing the journal itself the the, the bmj that the flagship mm. journal and within it research um education news debate comments etc etc plus the specialist journals mm. plus um uh the the the, the, the conferences We're really that the mission of the bmj is to achieve a healthier world uh, and and we can yeah. only do that by kind of staying ahead in terms of digital but also by staying true to our values which are of the evidence base of uh, the values most relevant to this conversation are things like transparency and and in, in yeah. independence to, to give one kind of more kind of practical example of the future where where in particular i'm working which is in bmj best practice and the bmj best practice comorbidities tool is integration into other electronic systems that Mm. doctors and healthcare professionals are using, which is really important in the digital context. And and so we've developed different levels of integration Mm. from a search widget through to the famous HL7 info button through to more deeper um, API levels Mm. of integration. I'm not a technologist, um, Mm. so... um, Uh, But but what I do get is the purpose behind it, which is what medical students and doctors and other healthcare professionals are telling us all the time, that they want answers quickly. And by quickly, they mean within seconds, with minimum numbers Mm. of clicks, without interruption to the clinical workflow. Those are the things that we hear all the time. And I I think in in terms of the medium to long term in five or or, or over the next five years we're going to be hearing a lot more about things like that.
0: I definitely agree I think this new generation of medical students that are graduating becoming junior doctors they pretty much have had everything at their fingertips Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube everything there all information is there and I think it's only natural for that medical education and content to be there just as quickly. Otherwise, there's fear of kind of losing out on their kind of attention capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think you're doing a great job.
2: I think it's also actually very important for clinical care as well, because as doctors, as FY1s, when you're on the ward alone, the med reg is tied up. Having an answer that you can quickly search up within seconds that's backed by evidences, cross reference to guidelines and everything, It's it's valuable for patient care, and I've I actually recommend the best practice tool to everyone that's listening right now because it's got it's it's broken. The way it's done is amazing. It's broken down into where you should approach the questions, you should be asking, the red flags, the management um, complications, you should be looking out for. Every single thing is there, and it is done very very sort of uh, user in a user friendly manner. Um, and I found that for my patients when I've been carrying, and there's a quick question that I have that I need to answer, that it's been a valuable, valuable tool to have on my phone. I um, definitely recommend all of the listeners right now to check it out and download it.
1: And that's exactly the use case that you described that we're trying to, um, to, to help with. Um, the junior doctor who's on call in the middle of the night who needs to, to check yeah. something, we want to yeah. be able to provide them with reliable... Knowledge um, uh, on their smartphone, phone, of course, online or offline via an an, an app, and of course, yeah. people, the medical students and junior doctors have high expectations of technology. They want the app to download really fast, to use a minimal yeah. uh, space on their phone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and these things do not Buttons, yeah. rocket science. Even yeah. I understand them, you know. Uh, uh, and that's exactly what yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to achieve but but achieving that once again is through no. the team who listened to the users who found out these things who found out that Wi-Fi isn't always Absolutely. reliable and therefore yeah. you need to have an app and the app needs to reproduce the online version that's what people yeah. want.
0: And I feel very assured that this change and the new innovation and education tools is driven by user experiences, driven by people that are actually using it. I think the theory sometimes it's kind of developed by senior clinicians, seen individuals that may have more experience, know a lot more about medical education than us that are quite junior, yet not use the app in itself themselves. But to know it's been led in a way that we are comfortable using it is very reassuring, um, which is very good. And I believe you guys are doing excellent work. to wrap up, and I know you're super busy and you're working on so many different things, what advice would you give to kind of medical students and junior doctors that are starting out that do want to have a career similar to yourself, that do you want to take up positions of leaderships, want to work in organisations like the BMJ, um, what can they do, or just words of motivation?
1: Yeah, so I think that once again, it's a wide-ranging question, um, but I think the idea yeah. of thinking long-term and developing a portfolio career is likely to be a good one and thinking what else might i do besides clinical medicine be it in primary care and prime or secondary care do i want to get involved in leadership in quality improvement in education or research or a variety of of other things and to start small and to uh, and to develop skills in these things by by doing mini projects, first mm. of all, in terms of in terms of digital, I think it's really important because digital overlaps with all these things, and I do digital is something you are interested in as well, and um, I, and I can't remember this mm. quote um, that I heard um, a year or so ago, possibly about the topple. Um, r- review of uh, digital and technology and healthcare, w- which uh, I'm going to misquote it horribly, but it was saying basically that robots aren't going to take over and doctors are not going to become redundant. But it's doctors who are not able to use technology or not able to use digital. They're the ones who are going to run into it run into problems Uh, and it's their future that's uh that that that, that's more of 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 a worry so we should all be kind of thinking about digital and and you're absolutely right that what what you say people ask all the time well what's the future going to be but actually if you look at what medical students or people school leavers are doing or junior doctors are doing that's the Mm. future Mm. because they're going to take it with them
0: it's been really insightful speaking to you. Um, it's very rare to get to meet individuals like yourself that are working and working on such pivotal things that we use on a daily basis without kind of being conscious who's driving it, who's leading on it. Um, so I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to kind of sit down with us, give it insight. And it's quite nice to see, you know, the faces behind it and feel like yeah. we're in safe hands when I'm on <laughs> call, you know, struggling to manage. Yeah. I, mean, I feel a bit more safe knowing that. Because I do feel like you are looking out for us in a in a in a weird but wonderful way, um, if that does make sense. Um, and I hope you continue doing the amazing work you're doing. And I'm really really excited um, to see what the future holds. Th-
1: thank you very much. It's, it's 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 a pleasure. And and lastly, I'd like to say that uh, we're really interested in thoughts, suggestions of what we should do, both from yourselves but mm-hmm. also from your listeners. Please get in touch with us at mm-hmm. BMJ. We're always interested in, uh, in new ideas, uh, feedback, criticisms, uh, thoughts on uh, what the future of medical knowledge or medical publishing sh- 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 should be. And we'll, uh, we- we'll definitely listen and, and reply and, and try and incorporate your suggestions <laughs> and ideas as well.
0: No, definitely. Um, a massive thank you and a massive thank you to all our listeners.